welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Hey, 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 everybody. Knock On Podcast. I am sitting in... The presence of a legend. <laughs> it is it is surreal to like be in Pete Shepley's. This is this your man cave? This, Fish? Is, my, this is my cave. That's what Laura calls it. Yeah, we it's definitely a cave. Two or three caves in the it, house here, though. So it changes every time. But this time, this time we're loaded with revolvers, black powder. Are these these aren't all are they all black powder? Everyone. Oh my goodness, they are. This is a legit collection of black powder revolvers. But I, I had a dealer back way back in time uh, that owed me from Wisconsin owed me forty or some thousand dollars. I forgot what it was. <laughs> and he called me up and he says, Hey Pete, I'm going bankrupt. I'm gonna I filed <clears throat> I'm gonna file tomorrow. And he says, uh, why don't you come up here and get whatever you wanna take and uh, to make us even so I jumped in my truck and drove up there, and I got like 50 muzzle loaders, and I thought I had a box of like six guns. And I opened the other day; there was 16 guns in it, <laughs> and they're all they're all black powder, uh, Italian-made uh, revolvers, you know, from uh, the 1800s, you know, copies. And it was kind of funny, but anyway, it was. Uh, <clears throat> you don't get many dealers that do that when you no, it's catch a, up that way. What I what I love about being around you is you're a lot like me that when you see something that you really, really like, you rarely have just one. (laughs) (laughs) We're both the same that way. It's like, you know, when we find something we really like, we just get them. Yeah. You know. They have a good connection, collection of, you know, know a bunch of knife makers and stuff. You know, you get to know them because of the shows, you know. Yeah. You used to trade bows for knives, you know. And and, uh, like if Jim Crumley was here right now, Jim Crumley would have every one out wiping it off. Uh, Oh, man. And I've got hundreds of them. (laughs) <laughs> I really, I need to look Jim up. I would love to do a podcast with Jim. You'd like, he's a great guy. He, well, um, we were, I mean, he was a very good mentor to me back when I was a late teenager. Right. Super, oh yeah, yeah, super nice because, you know, at the time, the only camo that was on the, the first Matthews were tr- was Tree Bark 2. Yeah. And so... When Jim and Jim still had tree bark then, yeah. So I mean, you know, I had a lot of conversations about with him about like where camo patterns started and what 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 a perfect gentleman too. Yeah, really good. I mean, yeah. he is such an amazing guy, and and um, they actually were one of my dealers too. In I'm sure it was Virginia. Yeah. Is where it was. I'm trying yeah. to think what town, but yeah, they they had a shop there, and um, and I know he really. I've got a picture of the two of us from, you know, mid '90s or late '90s. The two of us were at a banquet or somewhere together, and mm-hmm. um, just a <clears> super <throat> awesome guy. And then he had told me he kind of peeled off out of the hunting industry to really focus on training labs. Oh, is that right? Yeah, I didn't yep. know that. Yeah, I saw him. I think it was at Legends of the Outdoors. I got an award from those guys here, two awards from him in the last couple of years, and on a riverboat down there in Nashville. 
and uh, I think I think that's the last time I talked to him. I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure it is. But anyway, of course, his bride is uh, very active in the Turkey Federation and all that stuff. Yeah, know? I know they really were. There, uh, I mean, it's it's pretty cool. He he was really into turkeys too. And at the time, he started. Um, I'm trying to think what the name of that pattern was, but he actually partnered with Lynch lynch game calls and made a tree bark pattern which was kind of the second generation there was tree bark too and then i'm trying to think of what the name of that pattern was that he kind of collaborated with lynch for i don't know i didn't know about that yeah i've got a i'm gonna have to dig up some old pictures of of me as like a pimple face shooting because i he gave me like the first overcoat and pants Oh really? Of the I'm, I want to think it was called like Superflage. I just don't know. He offered me a partnership in that thing in the beginning of it. And in I didn't tree take bark? It. Yeah. Oh my goodness. <clears throat> yeah, I was always sorry I didn't do that one. That's, uh, what's been your other? What What's been your other? Um, yeah, it's called Superflage. That's it right there. Hmm. Yep. That was it. Be yeah, that was, see, it was a, like a tree bark yeah. background yeah. with leaves on it for yeah. the first time. But yeah, I've got a picture of me. I've got a picture of me in a Sherlock catalog wearing that. And I was like probably 18 years old, shot mm. a deer in Mississippi with it mm. when I was still hunting in the South. What's, what's the, what's the one opportunity at like a company, you know, Something like Jim Crumley with tree bark. What's the one that you kick yourself for not? I don't know if there is one. I'd, I'd have to really think about that one. I just don't know. Uh, but there's always opportunities with people that have an idea or something, too, that you, you always look backwards and say, oh, we should have done that one. But I just don't have one in mind. But there is a lot of them. <laughs> because uh, people would come to me with ideas. Yeah, and, and good inventions, you know, and stuff. And I'd say, "Well, you got the easy part done." He says, well, "What do you mean you got the easy part done?" I says, "Thinking of it, you got to sell it now." Yeah, that's the hard part. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, so I don't, I don't, uh, you know, I don't remember now. But, but there's hundreds of them over the years. I you know, bet. But little ones, you know. But Jim was a was a one that I should have done, and it would have helped him. He'd helped me. You know, it would have worked together really well. But we were his camouflage for a long, long, long time. Yeah. When um, did – I'm trying to think when he – when that tree we, bark we, we came We did out. it when he started, real close to when he started. Was that 80s, mid-80s? I don't know. <laughs> Been 50 years now, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Too far back. Too far. Yeah. So. D- does one bow stand out to you to be in the best bow you ever shot? Like, as a – personal shooter is there one bow that when you think back you think to yourself i could do no wrong with that bow or less wrong yeah it was a two two wheel bow that i won the world championship field archery championship with and it was uh, uh you know there's no idler wheels running on it it's one of the first ones of those bows that we made not it's kind of a few generations after but like a max maxis cam or no, something no it was a round Wait. wheel cam oh a round wheel yeah. way and before that then. yeah it was one of those things uh, this was in uh, like 81 or something like that so um i'm not sure what year i think it was 81 it was in germany the tournament was but it was one of those bows that you can just pick up and you go in the middle you know <laughs> <laughs> what color was it it's sitting here somewhere it's over here i think it's here somewhere. tell me it's green no it was destined to be 
I don't know. I got one that Fred Bear signed for me. That was a pretty good deal. Yeah, tell that story. Yeah, it was a tournament in Minnesota, Detroit Lakes, Minnesota, field archery, National Field Archery Tournament. Fred Bear was there with his crew, and and uh, he and I talked a lot over the years, you know, especially when he got older and older and out of, almost getting out of the com- country and company. And uh, But he were at the tournament and was shooting and coming back in, and I, I uh, saw my bow sitting. It was in my camper in the little motorhome we had. <clears throat> and it was sitting out there and had ridden and felt that marker on the white limb, you know. And uh, was, the bow was, it was, a, it was my backup bow. And uh, he, he said, I felt that marker and says to Pete Shepley with love of Fred Bear. So I walked over to him. I said, Mr. Fred, see anybody near my camper today? No, not anybody. He says, <laughs> he says I said, I keep an eye on it too. I know you're pretty proud of that thing. I said, yeah, so I've been keeping an eye on it for you. I didn't see anybody at all. I said, well, somebody went in there and messed with one of my bows. He said, no way. Nobody would do that here. <laughs> Going out of that. He never did admit it, but it was really fun. And treasured that bow. I mean, it's uh, it's hanging right here in this room. That sounds like yeah. something Johnny Heath would do. Oh, my God. Johnny Heath would have done that to me, or probably did. There was a piece of work right there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Johnny Heath. He had was, his little little stint, though, that we he shooting good. Oh, man, could he? He could shoot. Yeah, he was one of those, he was one of those what, rascals. Whatever he, happened to him? I, never uh, heard I him. saw him probably four years ago. I was um, I was doing a thing in either North Carolina or South Carolina, and he came up. To, I heard him like two booths down, just mm-hmm. hustling. Who you know, yeah. whoever was yeah. like a couple booths down, and I was like, "Oh my God, that's Johnny Heath!" Like I know that's him. And then he came up to me, and instantly you're just like, "Holy cow!" Yeah. But he had not changed. Like he came out of a time machine. Yeah. Is a hundred percent the same. Yeah. But just one of those people where he could he could either run a horse auction or win world championships with a bow yeah but he was a full-blown hustler from oh yeah sure from dark to dark wasn't yeah. he yeah he could he could talk talk you out of your last nickel <laughs> oh, yeah <laughs> yeah he would talk you out of everything was, in your pocket I, I liked him because uh i always measure everybody in archery are they great for the sport yeah i don't know why i do that but i do it well that's how and, we should measure and, it yeah and i think he was at the time he was good for the sport <clears throat> he was very vocal and very outgoing and could shoot a bow and and uh that was an interesting time wasn't it with like johnny heath and wayne pearson and mm-hmm. you know jeff hopkins it was a it was a very it was probably a, a very important time for the sport because well randy chapel mm-hmm. larry weir like that was yeah. a very cool that was a very cool time to be part of professional archery yeah uh, because for me i wasn't a pro yet so i was like i was in the open classes looking at these pros as if they were figures you know to where wayne pearson had them you know coming in in their trucks that were all decked out and pse had their freaking team and high country had their team Mm -hmm. with the bus and you know these people came in like it was like watching a WrestleMania, yeah. you know, wasn't it? It was like these these characters that came in and came to these big events, and it was it was so surreal yeah. at I the was, time. I was involved in designing that whole ASA thing, 
In fact, I laid it out for Wayne on the kitchen table in hunting camps for really two, two or three months. We were doing a lot of shows. That he, we were the key people on the shows, and it's all started there. And uh, we do it in Georgia and all the different places down in the southeast. You know, we sometimes we'd be quail hunting, sometimes we're deer hunting, sometimes we're hog hunting, and and things like that. And so he kept talking about he wanted to be in the tournament business, and that's so I laid out what I thought he should do. Mm-hmm. But I didn't. I didn't want it to be for the pros. I wanted it to be for everybody, but I didn't want it to be keying just for the pros. I wanted the average guy to come to this thing and spend his money and have a good time, you know. Yep. And uh and it worked out pretty good, but had some good couple of good sponsors, I think Pennzoil since the beginning of yeah. it and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But it all got screwed up. And uh, I didn't have any ownership or anything. I didn't want any part yeah. of it. But I laid it all out for him how to do it and and I wanted to keep it more amateurish and he he didn't. He wanted to be so-called pro but and then uh i don't know if this thrill get it right from him afterwards or he, but he, i don't think he went bankrupt or not with it i wasn't paying too much attention <clears throat> i mean it's hard for me because i afterwards it yeah failed. i mean i don't really go to i don't go to him anymore um for me there i was there in a phase where i saw it where it was yeah, it was it was, it was so fun it was, it was, it was so great it was so fun i thought we did a great job putting it together any good sponsors and, yeah and i just got to the point where i really started to get burned out yeah you know after i mean it was probably a decade in when i finally just thought like i just need to do something else and that's when i went into like field archery and yeah. you know in tar- u.s target archery I was just I was burned out on the same location every time. Yeah. Staying at the exact same hotel. Right. There was sometimes where I stepped to a stake and I remembered what I shot that target for mm-hmm. the year before that and the year before that. Yeah. And it just it, I just got burned out on it. Like it needed it needed new destinations and new like you know, I don't know, there was Wayne did a good job of just really making this thing an experience you know he he really did it was you yeah. know mc <clears throat> people there and and there was competition for him you know which i think is always healthy so like no, at that time like, yeah. the cabela's tour was honestly the cabela's shoots were for me way more challenging and better yeah. as an archer yeah center 12s the distances were longer the courses were noticeably tougher they were set more like attack range instead of being in lanes where everyone just kind of went down the media and it was all mm-hmm. or the the middle where there was 10 targets out each direction like a fan yeah. which was from Wayne's point of view was very it was set up to be more spectator friendly but in saying that yeah we talked a lot about those ideas sitting around a kitchen table at these quail camps in different deer places we were at you know yeah because he was able to get into some of these places down there that were pretty good deer hunting but they're always good quail hunting and pig hunting or stuff like that yeah and uh we talked about all those things at depth in depth you know all the time and and uh, really trying to figure out how it really worked for archery from my, from my end of it you know yeah because i wanted to really grow archery and i thought it was a great idea but um i, I think it had a set of problems you know and then jackie coddle got in it and the indian and george dixon, george dixon and, <laughs> and uh then uh, he is an indian He's yeah. a native, yeah. but, but uh, I don't think that was his nickname. But, I think he was. I think, it was <laughs> I think it was George. Yeah, there was, yeah, you know, different problems with him. I think at different times, but uh, 
I liked him. He was like these. That's when you had to measure the way your bow and all the stuff. I don't know if you still have to do it or not. But I don't yeah. know either. But yeah, yeah, it was very like you'd have to go to check in. Yeah. You know, weigh your bow. They'd weigh your arrow. You'd shoot through the chronograph. You'd get approved to go through. Yeah. Um. You know, look through your binoculars. George Dixon came to um to Wisconsin one time, and and him and Claudia at the t- his wife at the time uh, came and stayed with me. And this is like maybe late 90s and I mean this is crazy is that 20 something years ago two decades ago and he came there and at the time uh, I only had a I had a apartment it was a two bedroom apartment but I had one bedroom was like my bed which I think at the time was a water bed which dated it back and then there was like a guest room which was mainly archery equipment and bows and then there was like my big couch out in the living room that had like a big pull-out couch so I like had the couch out and everything and George asked if he could come and stay there so he didn't have to get a hotel in town yeah and like he came in with Claudia and they just took all their stuff into my bedroom and just like he just said something like you know do you need any blankets for the couch (laughs) (laughs) and just like booted me right out of my bedroom <laughs> just like asked if he could stay came in stayed uh, in my bedroom that sounds like george yeah <laughs> but i mean I, I always liked him but i didn't you know i never ran around with him i didn't just see him at tournaments and stuff but uh but that that was the start of a good thing it just got um it it just didn't have the right management yeah and i just got it all started and laid it out and how to do it all but i really didn't want it I didn't want it to, all the emphasis to be on pros. I wanted it to be on the amateurs, and the pros could take care of themselves on it. Really, and it's kind of so to speak, you know. Yeah. And uh, I so really it could believe, have been way bigger, faster. I think. I a hundred percent believe in that right now. Like I feel, I feel like, and I have a lot of pros that reach out to me and get pissed, and I know that I don't have fans in the pro class um, because I feel this way. But the total archery challenge is a is a very good event for archery because there's you know there there aren't scorecards there aren't prizes it's very come out and shoot and if everyone's done with the range by two o'clock go out and shoot more targets yeah just <clears throat> shoot all day if you want to yeah. Like go love archery on this mountain right. that's, that's, and have crazy shots and watch a bunch of arrows fly long distances yeah. and take shots that there aren't even stakes from and, you know, challenge your friends, you know, I'm going to shoot from here, but you can't hit it. Like that is, to me, that's the nucleus of archery. Yeah. If you grown. and I went out and shot for fun right now, I mean, it's not like we're going to dr- step up on a pencil-drawn line. We're going to, like, shoot from different spots for fun yeah. or try yeah. to hit this, try to hit that. I yeah. mean, that's what that's what makes archery fun. And if you beat me today, then tomorrow I'm going to try to pick something where I can beat you and let you sleep on yeah. it overnight. Yeah, sure. I feel like that's a huge thing of what's missing, Yeah, you know. Well, it creates a camaraderie. That's what it really does, I think, and... That's uh I think it's a great way to go and I think that total archery challenge is just really good. 
Yeah, you need to get out. You need to go. To, yeah. You need to go to one where you're just, where you just go up on the mountain and shoot it, and you're just gonna say that was just, that was just people loving archery yeah. for for three days. Yeah. You know, and and um, and I've I've said from the beginning why the total archery challenge isn't Easton's total archery challenge. It's beyond me because. The amount of shrapnel you see on a total archery range is crazy, ridiculous, crazy. Like yeah. pickup trucks full of yeah. smashed arrows, like dropped at the end of the ranges. Just like here's proof of like yeah. how many times <clears throat> I missed a target, yeah. and no one complaining about it. Yeah, everybody trying to find more arrows. Right, isn't that nuts? That's just, what made me love yeah. archery from the get go. Yeah, it was like, uh, you know, I remember shooting bales of hay at twenty yards, and that was a big deal. And then a paper plate came out, and you're trying to do that. You know, keep in mind like fingers, no sights. Then mm-hmm. sure. sights come out, and then releases come out, and yeah. then <clears throat> and then after that, you know, it, it seems like so much of that it got too serious. You know, and maybe it was just the realm I was in, but it it kind of got too serious, and and now I feel like there's this really cool crossover of people really wanting to be really good, people wanting to be good at it and loving the challenge of it, and willing to pay to go to a shoot, yeah. stay at the shoot for three days, stay at the mountain, hang out in some vendor booths, take their family, do a three mile free like. I was there at times where if an IBO course took four hours to shoot it, people were filing complaints. Yeah. You know, people like people were pissed at Ken Watkins because the course was too long. Yeah. Or there was a target over 50 yards. We know it was 52. We stepped it off and they, and they'd file a complaint here. It's like, Hey, what's the max distance? We have no idea (laughs) if it's, you know, or hey, that shot is there's no way you can't hit that target without shooting the tree in front of it, and they'd just be like, "Well, was it fun? <laughs> yeah, it's just such a better thing, you know it's funner, well, not everybody's in a competitive environment, you know for each other, they're convi- in it for themselves to compete against themselves. that's a, the best way to go then i I think it's for getting people started. All the other higher archery stuff's got its place. Yeah. But for getting people started and play the game is for as somebody in the business wanting to sell bows. That's I th- what I want. I think <clears throat> I think NFA, ASA, they still have their places yeah. pla- is places to to work your way through the progression of to be a professional archer in in regards to winning money shooting archery. Yeah. But I think if you want to just enjoy archery then there's uh, finally there's other avenues yeah. because I was burned out. Like I didn't, I did not go to shoots. I did not compete. I didn't go to the total total archery challenge until three years ago. So there was, there was probably a seven year gap where I just shot like that at home. Yeah. You know, because I, I wasn't going to go burn three days to, to shoot for a scorecard. Yeah. Like I wasn't going to do it weekend after weekend. Yeah. There was a time when I did, but it wasn't when I had a family and a son in sports and a business that I had to manage and 
other, you know, adult responsibilities. It's it's a very singular thing. Well, you, if you're, you're if you're, you're, you're not going to go to all the total archery challenges, are too far away. Yeah, you no. can go to the couple of them that are close. Yep, that's about it. Yeah. So, I don't know if they're going to have they can, anybody having one in Arizona. I don't know if they're going to have one down no. there. No, but we have some pretty good, you know, tournaments, but they're all score tournaments. You know, the ones here that then in the summertime we're around yeah. the mountains up there so i haven't been to any of those in years so i used to go mormon lake and stuff like that <clears throat> yeah i don't know about cactus there's going to be one in texas my question pretty is soon, isn't it? huh pretty yeah soon. it'll be in april april so, yeah yeah a month and a half so, yeah. oh my gosh jesus yeah that's coming up quick so my question for you living in arizona why would you purposely plant a cactus in your front bushes, like in your front, within reach of going out at night and taking a leak off your porch? Why would you plant a cactus within within that realm? I didn't plant them. Because <laughs> I'm like, if I had a house in Arizona, I would not have a cactus within my yard. Yeah. I would not want to, like, be out on a stupor and fall into a cactus. Yeah. I would have... I would have nothing before I would have a cactus. Like I'd have some type of flowering <laughs> plant probably, but not anything with horns or a thorns. You know I, whose house this used to be, don't you? Um, you told me that once. John McAfee. <laughs> the John McAfee. It was his house. We lived right next door. And it came for sale and I bought it and Laura had a fit. I didn't think I, I don't think I told her I was buying it. <laughs> but anyway, of course I loved the house and he had bought the house and remodeled it all and made it like this and he was only here maybe three days a month because he had houses all, <clears throat> all over the country he was dodging dodging the public i don't know if he was dodging it but yeah in a way at the time yeah he's a real character i uh i didn't get to know him real well but had we, we had a, he had a barbecue one night here and we came over and had barbecue and then and uh and we talked business and that and just you know his stuff and He's pretty interesting. I, I thought he was a really interesting guy. and uh, But uh, he had an entourage with him that, you know, probably, I don't know, 10 or 15, 30-year-olds, you know, they waited on him like he was the king. Really? Yeah. And uh, But he's, I thought he was pretty interesting, but I never got to spend much time with him. But uh, he's uh, uh, he, uh, he had a house in Hawaii on Molokai that he had built, and then the the tax people from California were after him, and Hawaii decided to get after him on taxes, and and so he walked away from that house and sold it, and he went, he called me up and said, "Why don't you buy it?" So I took I never get I never go to look at it, but he saw the pictures of it. It was like wow, <laughs> it was nice. So why don't I, you buy it? Yeah, I talked to the guy that was building it, and the gal that was selling it, and uh, and uh, they were related somehow, and and. Uh, Talked to him how much money he had in it, and blah blah blah, and all this stuff. And it was, I mean, it was a really, really nice place. So I had two or three. I actually had three guys, and we were all gonna thought maybe could buy off for me, and everybody put two fifty in it because nobody could ever use it enough in Hawaii. You know, yeah, you're living here, you know. So if you had four families involved, you know, it'd be great. You know, nobody get hurt. But everybody bailed on me the night before the auction. So <laughs> the lady called me and says, "You're gonna put your hand up." I said, "No, you're gonna put my hand. You're gonna put your hand up for me. And if it starts over a million, we're done." <laughs> and it went for a million five, and has there was four or five million in it. Oh dang! Oh yeah. But how would you ever use it? I mean, yeah. You had you'd have to be a Hawaii goer all the time, you know. And just before that time. 
they had flights out of Phoenix for like I don't know a couple hundred dollars to uh, Honolulu, and it went like three times a week. It was yeah. perfect for a lot of people in Arizona had houses in Hawaii because of the airplane way it was set up. Yeah, travel, but that all went away. And so, but then after it got down, I was glad I didn't get it. It was pretty neat. But but McAfee, he owned this house, and it was. He was, uh, he's a different character, I tell you. <laughs> he made himself a lot of money. And I don't know if he kept it all, but he made a lot of money. Tell me about um, the Russian. So a lot of people listening might not know, but there was a time where Pete Shepley was really into ridiculous aero, aerobatic. Aerobatic flying. Aerobatic flying. <laughs> I got to see it, you know, before we knew each other, I got to see it, which I think I talked about on our last yeah. podcast. But you were telling some stories about some of the the Russian coaches that you guys would bring in to train you. Yeah, a guy named Victor Smolin and uh, uh, Elena and Klimovich and uh, several different guys. Um, um, can't think of their names now, but I, I wanted to get good at the sport, and I had purchased an airplane an aerobatic plane I wanted to, I really wanted to get to where I wasn't sick in an airplane all the time every time I get near an airplane I was sick you know <laughs> so you get so, a red baron plane so, to uh, like it was a biplane it was it was pretty you know pretty uh, easy going no it wasn't yeah <laughs> <laughs> anyway so then I uh, bought a Russian Sukhoi and um and that was the ultimate plane. I mean, that was the best plane you could have. And it was crazy good. You know, you could pull vertical and do five, six rolls vertically up, you know, and stuff like that. And uh, so I got Laura and I and then a couple from Texas went to, we went to an aerobatic contest, a world-level contest in Florida, Pompano Beach, and uh, down where we had bought the airplanes down there. And uh, so this, this other couple had one. So we went together, and one night we are you know, they had a dinner in a riverboat on the inland passage, you know, the inland waterways, you know. Yep. And uh, so we went there, and the Russians were all sitting there at a table, you know, and there's four empty chairs there at the table with them. There's probably 20 Russians at the table. So can't be bashful. So I walked over. <laughs> Can we sit here? Yeah, sure. <laughs> so we sat there. Does anybody speak English here? And Elena said, I speak English. Nobody else. And, uh, but we had a great time. And I told Elena, I said, uh, why don't you, can you, how can I get you to come to Arizona and teach me how to fly this airplane? Yeah. Because I want to see if I can compete. And she said, well, why don't you get the coach of the team to come? I said, does he speak English? Victor Smolin. He said, she says, no, but that won't be a problem. <laughs> I said, really? No, it won't be a problem. Okay. So two weeks later, you know, he calls, you know, in the airplane, my phone, and he says, airport, 11 o'clock or something like that. Click. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> that must mean I'm supposed to pick him up at eleven, so I picked him up and cyanide pill. Yeah, eleven o'clock. Just, just went. It just went from there, and uh, um, you know, he came up here and took all the panels off the airplane, looked at it all, made sure it was safe, and blah blah blah. And he says, uh, "You will show me skill." I says, "You going with me?" No, no. I'm going to stand right out, <laughs> yeah. here, right out here. So I went up, smart coach, flying around, you know, <laughs> flying around, and he fans and he says, "Okay, uh, what do you think?" He says. I don't know. You know, it's kind of in a nice way. You know? Yeah. But he had to get his English book out to even say three words to me, you know. Yeah. Uh, but he got to be a great friend, and I had him over here probably six times a year at least, maybe more, sometimes 10, 12, four, 
probably 15 years, you know, 10, 15 years. How did he coach? Like from, would he tell you what to do even though he's watching from the ground? No, I had a two-seater airplane too. I bought a single seat. Well, the first one I bought was a two-seat. And he'd sit in the front seat and I'd sit in the back seat. I was pilot in command, but he could fly it from the front seat. He can fly it either way, front, front, future, back seat. So he watched you to make sure you weren't going to just kill oh, yeah. him right out of the gate. Oh, yeah, no, he would just take it from me if I scared him. Okay. Yeah, he, he, he'd just take it. I mean, he wiggles a stick, he's got it, you know. Okay, yeah, so, so he he take he has seniority if he if he chooses to. Oh, yeah, much. sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. They lay out all the rules. They're very strict rules. It's kind of like, you remember in the Top Gun show, they said uh, the, floor, the floor today is 2,000. Yeah. Don't go blow it. They mean it. Okay. Yeah, and they mean it, these aerobatic guys, too. You know, we're going to fly at 2,000 feet or 1,500 feet today, whatever. So you have a lot of room. If you screw up, you got a lot of room to clear it and just fly away. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they were the same way. <clears throat> they had really hard, fast rules that you, you followed or you'd have a talk. And if you didn't <laughs> and if you didn't play the game the way they wanted it and you weren't learning, they wouldn't coach you. And uh, Did he like vodka? No. Yeah, they liked wine. Almost all the aerobatic team drank wine. Really? Uh, what I, kind? I, Reds? I whites? don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember. But we always had wine for them here. So um, maybe I need to get into planes and Russians. Yeah, they were wonderful people, I and mean, these guys could really fly. I mean, really fly. <laughs> Incredible. And uh, they're the best guys in the world. And there's a few people that could beat them once in a while, but most of the time the Russians will. Mikhail Marmostov, he was super pilot, and he'd be here a lot. A very quiet guy and. Um, He'd work with you, you know. He sometimes I'd have Victor bring Elena and maybe two or three other, stu- you know, team members because mm-hmm. they're all great coaches, all of them. So sometimes I'd hire, fire, I'd get six guys to come down here, bring the repair planes down to the airport over there, and uh, at Marana, and uh, and the, so we'd have enough people, that, enough coaches to coach all these people. See, so one coach can really handle about two or three guys, and that's about. About it. About it, yeah. So uh, it it really worked out fun because these guys charge you $100 a day in an airplane ticket, and you had to feed them while they're here Mm -hmm. and house them. And uh, so that was like free. Yeah. uh, You were lucky to get that then. Yeah, so anybody that came here, I made them pay pay them $300 a day. That was still cheap. Johnny Heathstum. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway... uh, I made them pay them $300 a day, so when they were here for two or three weeks, they went home with more money than they could make all year over there. Yeah. In cash. Yeah. So which one was the astronaut? Um, Sergei Krikalov um, is his name, and I met him over there when I was flying over there one time, and he came over, and he's in a little car, like a Russian car, just, you know, junky little car, and we got talking, and uh, he... Um, uh, I think he was, I don't know if he had much English at that time. And, and anyway, we wanted to know if he wanted to talk to the mirror station. Mm-hmm. I said, how are we going to do that? He opened his trunk and his big transmitter in there. I mean, he's like like a prehistoric transmitter, you know, <laughs> as big as that couch. <laughs> what? The I mean, be, you know, any you know, modern day stuff, you could talk to him on your phone almost. You yeah. Know? And uh, so, yeah, can he speak English? No, it doesn't make any difference. Just talk to him. You know, you'll figure something out. <laughs> so I talked to the mirror station going by up here, see, because every 90 minutes it's going around the earth, see. And uh, so I got to know him, and uh, and uh, he was uh, just a wonderful person. Then he got involved in our in our space travel here because we needed him for some of these missions. He wasn't maybe the commander of the mission, but he'd be the key guy. Yeah. He's the guy with time in space. He had more time in space, I think, than anybody else. And uh, kind of funny, one day he called me. Well, I talked to him on my laptop at work. 
I might, I might talk to him every day for a week and then a week or two would go by and then I just talked to him maybe one day or something, you know, and he called me one day and he saw I just had a bad deal here and, and um, he taught himself to speak English in two weeks, perfect English. So you have to, you, you can't imagine this guy because you have to be around him to, everybody thinks I'm kidding when I say it, but he's the most impressive person I've ever been around times a million. Nobody like him. Nobody like him. Not even, not even close. Dang. For, for being smart, an athlete, everyday guy. You know, he's, uh, he could fly the aerobatic planes like nothing to it because he remembers everything. <sighs> and uh, I said, you have a photographic memory. That's why you're so good at all this stuff. He's no, he said, I just taught myself how to remember. And uh, so it's crazy good. So anyway, he called one day. He's in, uh, uh, I think, well, if I can't remember. I think he was in our space station. And uh, um, he could have been in the mirror. I'm not sure. He docked, he docked the, our shuttle to the mirror station one time. And he had to hand fly it to dock it. The automatic system wouldn't work, so you hand flew <laughs> it and docked it. Anyway, uh, so I got to talk to him when he's in space. Yeah. And we, we wanted to, because he's not going anywhere, you know. So <laughs> I could call him, and he's, he's pretty close to the microphone, you know. And, uh, so we talked a lot. And he uh, called me one day. He says, you know, the the, Ro the Soviet Union fell. And this was, I've forgotten, uh, when was it, in the 90s or something? I can't remember. Anyway, he said, uh, um, he said, I got a, kind of a problem. I says, yeah, I know, and I can probably tell you what it is. Uh, you know, the team can't go to the world championship. He said, no, can't. And he says, the Russians don't have any money. The Soviet Union is gone, you know, so now it's Russia. And uh, pretty much broke. And, and he says, you think you can figure out a way to help me? And I said, I don't know. Why don't you give me a couple of days? And so I called, I think, six guys that I knew in the West that had Russian airplanes. Yeah. And I called them up, and I said, I need your plane for a month and $10,000. I said, for what? I said, the Russians are going to practice here. And um, then they're going to take your plane and go to Florida and then uh, bring it back here, and um, hopefully they win everything. <laughs> of course, I'm betting against our team here, you know. Yeah. But anyway, so they were here for— Building friends on the— 23 on of them came, and um, and Laura says I still owe her for that one because we were living in the small house over there, and, and we had people everywhere and uh, farmed a couple of them out there. The Where I'm staying or yeah. in, mm -hmm. or right here? No, over there. We didn't have this place at that time. Uh, 23 Russians in that. 23 Russians between the and house you, we had and then and then in the barn. And then using your runway to, like, get no, off? We would, no, we would uh, bring the planes home here uh, most of the time, but most of the planes we had that I borrowed from people, we kept them in a hangar over there at the airport at Marana. Okay. So... And that's where we flew. That's where the aerobatic boxes. Aerobatic boxes, things marked on the ground that you fly, and it's 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 a, it's a um, I've forgotten how square it is. It's anyway, it's a half a mile square, like yeah. And it's all marked on the ground, so you get this fly your your teens inside this box, and people watch you and score you. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So, so the Russians were all there. I didn't fly hardly any of that time for that month because I was busy taking care of everything, making sure airplanes were running and getting parts. And when you fly those things, you, know, you, you wear them out. You know, you break exhaust and stuff. You know, it's crazy stuff. But yeah, because anyway, you, you're pretty much pedal the metal. All the, like you're forced, you're yeah. pushing the limits on every aspect pretty, of that thing much, yeah. every day, but right? But they're made really super strong. They're old model radial motors and stuff, you know, which are really good. And uh, they, they don't compare with the modern engines, you know. But you can get you know 400 horsepower out of them, which is really good. And the, air, and the Russian airplanes was typically was heavy compared to their airplanes, but but the stuff that it would do that other airplanes really couldn't do very well. But all that's equalized now. But they don't make them anymore. I love your saying that you told me about the for like a, the acrobatic planes. What yeah. the saying is? Oh, right. for the weight, 
Remember? Mm, you told me if you can throw it up in the air. Oh, yeah. If you take a part off, throw it up in the air, and if it comes back down, it's too heavy. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I've Today when, um, spoiler alert, today when we were um, in the engineering lab working on the future, that what you told me about that was in my head. Yeah. Like this. What is you trying to make it the ultimate lightweight bow? That's well, what don't give about. too much away. Yeah. So, <laughs> but anyway, yeah. That's the but goal. the Russians were really fun, and uh, the, you get to know a guy like Krikalov, you know, and he said, uh, "How cool to know he, a freaking astronaut." Yeah. And talk to him when he's. Yeah, people can look him up, and you can just look up uh, Discover Magazine. Just key it in your phone. Discover Magazine and put the last Soviet. And it'll come up, and you'll see a pictures of him in that. And sometimes you'll see the pictures like where he landed at Baikonur, where it's one of their blast off. And you places. said he was a—he learned archery extremely <clears throat> fast. He learned archery in 20 minutes one day. He could shoot top professional level in 20 minutes. Yeah, and our, our <laughs> Russian so coach, awesome. our Russian coach coached him, and I brought him in there because it was raining and blowing one day when he was here. We had him here for a week one time, and uh, and I took brought him into the. We were at the airport, and I called up, and I said, I'm looking at people. I said, make me, you know, three bows, you know, a lady's bow and a guy's bow, and, you know, about 28 inches or whatever they were, you know, just yeah. guessing. And, and uh, have them ready for us so we can shoot. And uh, so I called Alexander and told him we were coming. And, and uh, we can talk to Ale- I said, I want to introduce you, Alexander, to everybody, and he introduced him to Kreeklov. And they, I says, you know who he is? He says, everybody from Russia knows who he is. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I How said, close are they in age? Um, oh, I don't know. No, <clears throat> Alexander was older. <clears throat> Kreeklov now is probably 55 now, probably. Or so. Oh, that's still pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's so still. So anyway, he, uh, 20 minutes of coaching, he could shoot, um, in, you know, Vegas face, and he'd, he'd shoot them all like that. <laughs> but <laughs> so he remembers everything you tell him, and he's a tremendous athlete. Tennis, playing tennis or anything like that, he's a really good athlete. And a super, super student, just. Yeah. Everything is just purely protocol. Yeah. Like what's to yeah, teach me the protocol. Yeah, it's, it's uh huh. Yeah. I he's just a, love he's that. a he's a real high energy learner, you know yeah. what I mean? And and he knows everybody's space program. You can talk to him about that. We have dinners at night over there where he's here, people can come, they want to have dinner, you know, with the guy and he'd sit at midnight and talk talk about stuff, different things, you know, other people's space programs or other things that happen and blah blah blah, you know, it's just crazy and so anyway after that had all the Russians here, and they won the, everything in Florida that year and came back and spent another week here. And uh, then uh, he called me you know, after that, and he says, I think I owe you one. I said, no, you owe me about 10. I said, I don't know what it is, but I'm going to collect. I'm just kidding with him, you know. <laughs> and uh, he said, what do you want to do? I said, I want to go for a flight. I want to go for a ride in a, in a Sukhoi 27 flanker. It's an old airplane now, but it's it's it was one that could do the Cobra maneuver. It could fly along and pull back the nose like this and fly like this. What? Yeah. Super jet. It yeah. could turn the nose beyond yeah. vertical? Yeah, and like... just like a Cobra would be up like this, you know. Oh, my gosh. Like that, yeah. And I want to go for a ride in that. Can you get one? He Will they let you fly one? He says, of course they let me fly one. <laughs> <laughs> so just like when I called him to come over at that time, you know, I said, uh, I said, I don't know how you get over here. Can you get an airplane? I said, well, I'll figure out something if I can leave, if I can get out of here. And he said, we're doing underwater training. I don't know if I can leave. And he was in, in uh, Houston at the time at NASA there. It, uh, so uh, he uh, uh, 
couple of days later, he's on his way over here, and Laura called and said, he's, you know, Sergei's in uh, El Paso getting fuel. And uh, they gave him one of their old T-38s, that uh, the fighter jet trainers that they had. They're really beautiful airplanes. Yeah. 50-year-old airplanes now or more than that. Anyway, let those guys, keep those for those guys to fly so they keep them flying and playing, you know. And he landed over there, and we, I walked out to the airplane, and he's getting out of it, and I says, Sergei, I didn't know you've been checked out on one of these airplanes. He says, well, I'm not checked out. First time. <laughs> I says, what do you mean? He's all oh, very simple airplane. Dip, 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 dip. Close the canopy. Let's go. And so I had, uh, flew over here and landed at the airbase. So we went that's yeah. for those listening. That's like a jet. That's like what they would use as like the MIGs, kind of, wouldn't they? In like some of the '80s airplane movies, yeah. mm-hmm. like in Iron Eagle or yeah. something. Yeah, that'd probably. be like the MIG. Yeah, that'd be like the you know. Was, uh, the enemy's plane. Yeah, they were really beautiful airplanes. But anyway, he so he came over in that, and uh, like, I mean, NASA just gives him an airplane to come over here. Never <laughs> check him out. But that's the kind of Dude, guy. That's he is, baller. Like, yeah, that's so baller. He, he good was, for him. He was crazy good. I mean, he was really fun to be around and and very helpful on anything. And so, all the you know, we were invited to blast off when they put the new, new modules together for the new space station that's up there now. And he's. He was a key guy in a lot of a lot of flights up there, and that's. Gosh. He called me one day. And he says, "Boy, I just had a problem." I said, well, "One of your guys stepped out, and I was already stepped out of the out of the spaceship. We're going to do some work on it, and out of the the not the spaceship, but the satellite." Anyway, he said, and uh, one one of the U.S. guys was all decked up, and he stepped out in the out of the space station and went crazy, and. Uh, he said I had to get him back in before he killed himself and got him in there and finally got his helmet off so he, you know, didn't just, you know, run out of air and everything else and whatever it was. But just telling the story like that. It wasn't on the news that night, I can tell you that. And, uh, but just things like that, I knew more about what was going on up there, I think, than NASA did. I mean, it's, it was really um, crazy good because I could talk to him anytime I wanted to. Yeah. And uh, and he called he call me a lot, too, just to, just to somebody else to call talk to you know it's so cool that archery just introduces you to these people yeah i mean for me there's so many people i would have never met in my life if it yeah, weren't for archery how many people just... get to, get to coach the president of the united states on how to shoot a bow I know. Well, george you, bush senior yeah, you yeah. Did. how do you get to do that you, you just you just don't you know what i mean mm-hmm. it's, so it's funny who you meet on different things same with like rodeo same yeah. with rodeo stuff i wouldn't rodeo and i had team roped in all those years and and the people you meet there, it's, I mean, really pretty interesting, you know, than people you meet because of them, you know. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, archery, it's, um, it's really kind of crazy, um, you know, the different sports you. you yeah, know, there's you so meet. many that bring, that get brought together. Well, yeah. we are triggering tonight, and we've got to shut this down. That tri-tip yeah. is ready. Okay, let's go after and We've it. got nine New York strips that are going to go on. I don't know if I can lift one of those. <laughs> <laughs> we eat so good. Yeah. I've got a I've got a Traeger here at Pete's, so whenever that happens. It was funny because um, when we checked in to say that we were coming in town, Laura was going to be gone. And then she's like, wait, what's happening? <laughs> and then she's been here every day yeah, now. Yeah, she's pretty good trooper about that stuff yeah Yeah. i'm working hard for certain all right everybody well pete shepley thank you so much sir i love i love hearing the story great fun i like it all right knock on everybody all right be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing knockonarchery.com